0: The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out of here, a grand slam home run, and this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show a comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Glad to have you along tonight. I'm Dave Mitchell as we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds on this week's show on UltimateSportsTalk.com. And boy, what a week it has been for both the Indians and the Reds. You know, the Reds may be mired in last place as of after this afternoon's loss, but they've been playing some of the best baseball in the second half of this season. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Indians... What a series they had this weekend with the Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to take a look at that and more around what's happening in Major League Baseball on tonight's show. But first of all, let's go down south and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm
1: fine, and I think people who have given up on the Reds uh, too soon this year, they're only 25 games out of first place. But uh, I think they have a chance, Dave. You know, they're they're going to pull it out. At the last moment, they're going to catch the Cubs, and everything's going to be great in Cincinnati.
0: Mark, you well, know, except for today, which the bullpen just basically imploded in that 18-8 to loss to the Dodgers, but they split the series with the Dodgers this weekend, played them tooth and nail through four games, and really outpitched them except for today.
1: Yeah, they did, and they also beat the Marlins, another contending team, three out of four. So they've been playing good ball, and the reason they're playing well, uh, up until today, uh, they were getting good starting pitching and great relief pitching until today, but their offense has been off the off the chart. And Joey Votto, we talked about it last week, and he continues on a rampage. He had three more or four more RBIs today. Uh, he had three hits, and Peraza, Jose Peraza, picked up four hits today. He's hitting over 300, and, and he, he's living up to expectations so far. And the reason he is is he, he's getting a chance to play. He's playing shortstop because Zach Cozart is hurt. And I just wonder, they say Cozart may be out until the weekend. Uh, if, if Peraza is hitting 340, 350 at the end of this week, what do you do? Do you keep him in there? Do you bench Cozart? Do you bench Brandon Phillips? Do you trade off, Let you know let them split some time? Uh, with Peraza, he can play second and he can play short, and he's he's a great base runner. I I don't know how good he is defensively yet. He's not given me a big enough sample to determine if he has the consistency to play shortstop.
0: But right well, now, a lot of teams, a lot of teams in Major League Baseball wanted him, Mark. They sure did, and uh, he he has no power. Although he
1: does have two home runs this year, uh, he, he's not a power hitting shortstop yet. But shortstops can develop late physically. Usually those are the guys who are thin and live and they, they fill out. But he's making good contact. He's not striking out. Uh, he, he, he's playing as well as you could expect a rookie to play. And, uh, the, the other guy that is doing a great job is, um Duvall. Adam Duvall is continuing. He's only hitting 245, 250, but he's got 28 home runs and 80, I think he's got 82 RBIs now. And so he, he is probably going to have an 100 RBI season. He'll probably hit 30 to 35 home runs, and uh, that that bodes well for next year. And it it's all going to be about pitching because this team, especially if they get Devin Mesoraco back, you add a guy who's capable of hitting 25, 30 home runs to that lineup now. Uh, with with the offensive production they're getting, uh, they're going to score some runs next year. The question is, are they going to be able to get anybody out?
0: Well, Mark, that that not so much the pitching, but the question about Masarocco that we've brought up time and time again, where do you play the guy? I don't think he can catch anymore. He's had two surgeries now on that hip. Uh, he's got a torn labrum. He's a situation, Mark, where he is a DH in the making, but unfortunately they don't have the DH in the National League.
1: Well, don't forget his hip. It was it was each hip, and the second surgery was a was a minor thing. It was a minor. Uh, he fixed it up. It, it wasn't that bad. Uh, the labrum, of course, for a catcher is a problem, uh, but he does present a a, a great uh, power source for the Reds. And Tucker Barnhart, he's he playing really well this year. He's he's a very very good defensive catcher. He's hitting 260. Uh, he's got five or six home runs. Uh, he's driving in some runs. The grand slam home run the other night. And uh, so I, I think the Reds catching is in pretty good shape right now. And uh, again, you look at the you look for improvement from year to year when you're when you're rebuilding. And Eugenio Suarez, uh, he's going to hit 25 home runs this year, Dave. He's going to drive in 80 runs. He's he's improving greatly at third base. <clears throat> so they, they have middle infielders. They have Peraza. Uh, they have this Rodriguez kid they signed for $7 million in Cuba. So, so they've, got, they've got some pieces now. And the, the big question next year is, what do you do with Brandon Phillips? And before you say, well, you just bench him. Well, he's hitting 285, and he's going to drive in 75, 80 runs again this year. Probably hit 10, 12 home runs. And he's still playing a solid second base. So it's not quite that simple. <clears throat> and the, the question is going to be, who, would, who could you get for him if you were to trade him? But I would not trade him for, for, for nothing. He's a 280 hitter. He's playing second base. That, that's good. So it's, it's going to be an interesting winter <clears throat> to see what the Reds do power-wise. And are they going to try to replace Jay Bruce? Are they going to go Shebler in right field? I think that's where they're going. To, they're going to add a stud. I, it wouldn't surprise me that the Reds go out and get a, a power-hitting right fielder, and then uh, then you got to decide what you're going to do with Wink, Winker. But uh, that that team with one more bat, that it would be a devastating lineup.
0: Well, we'll talk more about that coming up in a, just a little bit. But of course, the Reds they lost this afternoon. 18 to 8 and what was more of a softball score than a baseball score. The Indians are playing tonight after the show. They're in Oakland and they'll be taking on the A's. They've got a three game set coming up with the A's tonight, tomorrow night, and then Wednesday afternoon. And then they've got a four game set with Jonathan Lucroy and the Texas Rangers. Mark, and before I get into the Indians, you know, I was a little surprised and I was a little disappointed in the fact that Prince Fielder, we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week, but Prince Fielder had to step down and retire.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I wonder, I don't know what his specific issues are health-wise, but when you weigh 325 <clears throat> at least, uh, you're, you're telling the world you really don't care about playing baseball. He, You know, he, he's not a real tall guy, and he's well over 300 pounds. So either he couldn't fix that problem that he has or he didn't care enough to fix it but you'd think with all the money he has he could have gone to therapy he could have gotten his weight under control but he's just like his father i mean, I mean oh I exactly how, i wonder how many games his father lost in his career his father was frightening a guy could hit a ball a country mile and prince could have been such a great player but he would not do what needed to be done to keep that weight under control, and maybe it's glandular. Like I remember my grandmother saying, whenever we saw a very rotund per- person, she said, "Well, it must be their glands." Well, it also could be their elbow bending, putting a lot of food in the mouth.
2: So,
0: <laughs> is that why I have elbow problems? That's
1: right, you do, Dave. That's right.
0: Yeah, imagine,
1: yeah. imagine adding about 150 to 200 pounds to your your weight.
2: Oh. I mean, no
1: imagine that, What yeah. that would do to you, and then that's where he is. I mean, that's that's a big, big man.
0: Mark the Indians are twenty games above five hundred heading into tonight's series with the Oakland A's. It's easily the best record that they have had <laughs> since two thousand seven. They finished four and two on the week. They're seven games up on Detroit in the American League Central. Their magic number? Yes, I am going to start looking at the magic number. It's thirty three. To win the division. They won two out of three this weekend. From Toronto. They had an 11 game homestand. That they just finished. And they won eight of the 11 games. They have done an excellent job. Of winning when they are supposed to. Yeah they've blown a couple of games. Much like they did. Last Wednesday night against the Chicago White Sox. Or they probably would have won four straight. From the White Sox still. Mark this, this series this weekend. Against Toronto. The Blue Jays. Always bring a lot of fans to Cleveland. These three games over the weekend in Cleveland were sold out. I tried to get tickets to the games, and and I couldn't because they were sold out. And Toronto always brings a lot of fans to Cleveland. But you know how these series, Mark, sometimes they're just like instant classics? Yeah. That's what this series was this weekend with Toronto. You've got two ball clubs, Mark, winning leading their divisions that could face each other in the playoffs and all three of these games mark were hard fought one run games each Indians winning on Friday night let's listen to Tom Hamilton's call Jose Ramirez I'm going to get into him in just a second I've laid into him at the beginning of the year but I'm going to feed him some praise coming up here after after these cuts but in that game on Friday night the Indians were down 2-1 to one in the bottom of the ninth inning. One out, Ramirez hits a home run to tie the game. And up to pl- the plate comes Tyler Naquin, whom I think is the American League Rookie of the Year. A swing and a drive to deep right! Saunders at the wall! It hits off the top of the wall! Naquin's around second! He's on his way to third! He'll try to score! Here's the throw! Out in time! Mark an inside the park home run, walk off home run. The win- the Indians win three to two. I can't remember the last time I saw an inside the park walk off home run.
1: Well, I can't either. But I can't also. And I want you to give me the background on it. I, that, that game Friday, I, I I played the highlights of that, and it was it was really interesting. Uh, the home run by Ramirez, and then the uh, the walk-off grand slam, or uh, walk-off home run inside the park. But what is an overturned balk? Have you ever seen that?
0: The, well, that was on Saturday night against yeah. Clevenger. Yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> they said that they called timeout. Now, I wanted to bring that up also, so let's talk about it right now. Clevenger has got a wind-up, Mark, that is very, very similar to Louis Tiant. Out of the stretch. That's what his windup is like. For those who don't know, Clevenger will stand to the side during the wind-up, and he'll bring his glove up and down several times, much like Louis Tiant did in the 60s and 70s. When he was in the stretch, he'd come set, but he'd bring his glove up, and then he would hesitate going all the way down to the belt. And that many, many managers, you know Mark, you remember that, screamed balk on Louis Tiant for years. Clevenger does the same thing, but this time out of the wind. And Saturday night, he came in, bases loaded situation. He did the same thing, and the third base umpire called a balk. The second base umpire came in and said, no, he had a timeout. So then Francona went out and wanted to make sure what was happening so that there would not be another balk called on Clevenger. I've often wondered, I've seen him do it, over the games that he's been up in the Major Leagues. Mark, you've seen him do it, yep. where he yep. just has that hesitation. According to Major League Baseball, the rule is if you do it consistently, they won't call it. That's so, what they say.
1: So, so they, they overturned the, the call, basically.
0: Well, they overturned the call because there was a timeout on the field when the third base umpire called the balk, and then they never went back and recalled a balk after that.
1: All right, you explain it.
0: That's that that's the reason that they gave. But Francona went out and made sure that they weren't going to call the ball again. Yeah, I know it. It was a very very weird situation. Indians lost that game six to five. Then on Sunday, Jose Ramirez again. Indians down two to one, bottom of the eighth inning, and again Tom Hamilton with the call.
1: So the Indians have the tying run on Lindor edging off the pitch. A swing and a drive! To deep left! Away! Back! Goal!
0: Jose Ramirez with a line drive to run homer to the porch in left! You talk about MVPs! What a year for the kid! Okay, now, that's Tom Hamilton on the Indians Radio Network. Mark, he said... You talk about MVPs. Let's talk about the kid. All right. At first, I thought, nah, that's that's not, nah, no way. Then I got looking at it. This kid's 23 years old. They finally settled him into a position at third base. He'd been fluctuating between left field, right field, shortstop, second base, third base. They finally got him at third. Mark, this year he's batting three ten. He's got 10 home runs, 57 RBIs. Now those don't sound like MVP caliber stats, but he's hitting over 400 in August. He's only gone one game so far in the month of August without a hit. He has three homers, 11 runs driven in, but here's where he makes his case. He's hitting 390 this year, 390 with two outs and runners in scoring position. Yeah, technically I wouldn't say that Jose Ramirez is your typical most valuable player candidate. You know, Mike Napoli is probably the one that comes closest for it on the Indians team because he's got over 25 homers and over 85 runs batted in. But, Mark, without Jose Ramirez, and I laid into him early in the year because defensively in the outfield he is definitely a liability. But at the plate this year, Mark, man, this guy has been money since the season began and i got to tell you he's making a case to be most valuable player in the american league
1: that that's something when you have a guy that most people don't know about who is you know in the middle of your lineup for producing like that that's that, that's a great problem to have when you're the when you're the indians having a guy step up like that and perform so that that's a that's an interesting premise
0: and here's the here's the other thing about ramirez he has hit in every spot in the lineup this year, first through ninth, every spot. And on Sunday, when he hit that home run, Mark, he was hitting cleanup. That was like his Brandon spot Phillips. in the batting order.
1: Yeah, that sounds like Pardon Brandon me? Phillips able to hit anywhere in the lineup. That's what you want from your players. I, I hate it when players say, well, I, I hit third, so that's all I can hit. Well, then you're not a good hitter. Uh a lot, of, a lot of good hitters can adapt in the lineup, and uh, that, that's what you want when you're a, uh, um, a manager.
0: You know, over the last couple of years, we've talked about Joey Votto that way, Mark, because it seemed like if if he wasn't batting in the second position over the last couple of years, he didn't hit the baseball. But this year, he's been successful in the number three spot in the batting order, just like he was four or five years ago on his MVP season. And Mark, he came within a home run of. Hitting for the cycle this afternoon.
1: I know he did, and I, I, I think he was going for it. That lasted bat. I, mean, I don't blame him, <laughs> uh, but he's he's just having an incredible statistical second half. And uh, uh, again, you match it up with, with what he did the second half last year, and and you can make the 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 argument because there there are enough at bats at play there. You can make the argument that you could hit... Joey Votto is capable of hitting 400. I said it last week. It's possible. And all you have to do is look at his two second halves in 2015 and 2016, which equal an entire season. And not only is he hitting over 400, his on-base percentage is 500. I mean, the numbers are stupid. This this is not... I don't know how this is escaping the national press. That What he has done the last two second halves... And, but of course that leads, it begs the question, what the hell was he doing the first half of both seasons? You know, he <laughs> hit, hitting 200. But in both years, he came into June hitting 200, or, you know, 195 to 205, something like that. And then he, he goes on a tear, and you cannot get him out. His eye is so good, you, you can't, you know, he the other day he had a 10 pitch at bat, and, he finally finally walked. The pitcher just got tired of pitching to him because he fouled everything off. You know, if he doesn't get a pitch, he can drive, and it was fouled off. He'll just wear you out. So the next time, up the pitcher threw a first pitch fastball down the middle. Bono hit it, you know, 450 feet. He, I, I think he sets pitchers up like that. It's, it's it's an amazing thing. All the years I've seen and played baseball, I've never seen a hitter as hot for such a long period of time. His, his average you know, average I went, is up to 311
0: now. I went back and I looked at his MVP season. And, you know, he got off to a slow start then, but his ad, his batting average never dipped below 250. He was fluctuating between 250 and 270 throughout the first two or three months of the season, and then he really turned it on.
1: Well, this right now, I believe he's got 20 home runs. He had four RBIs today, so he probably 71, 72 RBIs now. Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility he's going to get 100 RBIs at the pace he's going. He'll probably hit 25, 26 home runs, hit 315, 318. Uh, is, is that MVP statistics? Do those stats add up to an MVP?
0: Who, who else is in the running in the National League?
1: Well, I can't think of anybody who has... Uh, who Who's the guy that, that the leading hitter for? He was for the Mets last year. Um,
0: guy that was. Oh, Daniel series. Murphy. Daniel Dan Murphy. He, he, he's been yeah. leading
1: the, hit, the, the league all year, but you know the Mets aren't going to make the playoffs. Probably, I, I don't think they will. And so that that probably takes him out of the running. But just statistically, over the last five years, you go back and look at Joey Bother's numbers, and he's he is definitely Hall of Fame material. There's no question about it. And we're watching this guy play every day, and I don't think anybody's paying attention to him.
0: Well, you know what I'm afraid? Uh, With Jose Ramirez, get back to him just for a second, I'm afraid that most of the national media are going to vote for David Ortiz just because this is his last year. Does he deserve it? Yeah, probably so. But if Boston doesn't make the playoffs, Mark, and the Indians do, I mean, this happened almost 20 years ago, back in 1995, when Albert Bell was beat out by Mo Vaughn for the American League Most Valuable Player. And that was the year that Albert Bell had 50 homers and 50 doubles. So if they could do it to Albert Bell, they're definitely going to do it to Jose Ramirez. But I would but every, think that the guy that is on top of this right now is Ortiz.
1: But everybody hated Albert Bell.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Media yeah including hated some Albert of Bell. the Indians fans.
1: Oh, that's right. Everybody hated him. So yeah, uh, th- this might be a little different this year. We'll see.
0: Mark Billy Hamilton has really turned his season around, also, and with him and Votto turning their year around, the Reds really turned their season around, and they could finish in front of Milwaukee right now. They're just a half game behind the Brewers in last place in the National League Central. And Billy Hamilton was on the Major League Baseball Network over the weekend, and he told the guys. On MLB Network, that he is extremely happy with the way the Reds are playing lately.
2: You know, it's fun. Like I said, the uh, first half wasn't as wasn't too good for us, but I feel like the the way we are playing right now is fun. Coming to the field every day, having a chance, and and this is what makes you want to come to the field every day. The way we are playing, and everybody has a everybody's doing well, and everybody's getting their job done. I just feel like it's just so fun coming to the stadium each and every day now, and us having a chance. So, uh, I said. The days uh, after the all-star break, has been way better than the days before. So, I mean, we're excited, we're playing well, and we're having fun. We just want to finish the season strong.
0: Mark, how has Billy Hamilton, and we'll listen to a cut as to what he thinks the turnaround in his season has been because of. In your opinion, what has been the turnaround to Billy Hamilton's season this year?
1: Joey Votto. I, I think Joey Votto has helped him. He's worked with him. It's kind of under the radar. Uh, Joey Vado is a pretty good teammate. Uh, he, he's a, he's not a warm and fuzzy kind of guy. But if you listen to him, he'll work with you. And I can see the big difference in, in Billy Hamilton this year is a swing. He is, he's not lunging at the ball. He's not being fooled by the breaking pitch. And he's stronger, Dave. He's, he's physically stronger. I don't know if he's gained any weight, but you look at his arms now. I was down there. Two weeks ago, I think three weeks ago, and I saw him. He he's kid is ripped. I mean, he's very very wiry and strong, but his arms are getting bigger, and he looks like Joey Votto. That's that that's that level. I call it a karate chop swing, and he, you know he's he's never going to hit. I don't think 300, but with his speed, if he just gets the ball in play, um, he's going to hit 275, 280. And he'll steal you 75, 80 bases. He'll probably, I think he's 53 stolen bases now, leads the league. Uh He's a real valuable asset, and he's playing great center field as he did last year. He's, he's got a great arm, so he's he's a mainstay now with this team. And I think the only thing they lack is that right fielder, and we'll see what they do in the off season.
0: You saw this interview, didn't you?
1: No, I didn't. I have no idea what you're talking
0: about. I <laughs> swear to God, I didn't. Well, well, all right. Let's hear what what Billy Hamilton attributes <clears throat> to the turnaround on his baseball season.
2: The last two years, it's been more of me just trying so hard, just trying to prove to people that I can hit and not just going up there and being myself and relaxing and having fun. I've been talking to Joey Votto and he's just been saying the main thing is about hitting. You have to put the ball in play. You cannot, you cannot hit the ball. I mean, you, can't, you cannot play baseball if you can't put the ball in play. So my main thing has been going up there trying to have a good at bats and a different approach than I've been had in the past couple of years. And like I said, the main thing for me is not to try to, not try so hard to get it done and just let it happen. Let my ability take over and have fun.
0: Billy Hamilton giving Joey Votto all the kudos for helping him turn his season around and Mark he's only 25.
1: Yeah, and it's funny when uh I went down to that game, I got there early and I saw Vado working with uh, Billy in the outfield. They both had a bat and and Joey was showing him, you know, a, a, a swing plane. And what happens when you have a the irony of a baseball, when you hit a baseball and you hit it on the downstroke, like you're coming down maybe at a 10 degree angle on the ball. That's when you hit home runs, because you're hitting below the ball, it gets backspin, and the, and the ball takes off. And Joey Votto was showing Billy Hamilton what kind of swing produces what kind of launch angle, and and Billy was he was he was trying it. He was he stood behind Joey, and they were both swinging the bat. And then he would stand in front of Joey, and Joey would shake and said, "No, that's not what you need to do," and he would correct him. Now I don't know how about, often they do that. But I, I heard that Votto has been working with whomever will listen to him. And some guys don't want to listen. And I I remember, I think it was two years ago, uh, Todd Frazier uh, was striking out at an alarming rate, hitting home runs occasionally, and, and Joey tried to help him. And Todd basically said, I don't need your help. And Joey said, I guess. I, he said, okay, <laughs> go strike out 200 times. So if Votto is a Hall of Famer and he's only 32 years old, he's going to be with his team for a long time, you would be an abject idiot not to listen to him. He's He's got some pretty good ideas on how to hit. And it, it sounds like Billy's smart enough to listen to him.
0: Mark, the Indians had a scare on Thursday night. They brought Danny Salazar off the disabled list had him pitch against the Chicago White Sox, he lasted only an inning. I want to ask you about this because i 've never seen a pitcher do this before. Everybody thought that maybe his arm was bothering him, but Salazar immediately after a thirty two pitch first inning in which the Indians were down three nothing they ended up coming back and winning the ball game. He went out to the bullpen and threw bullpen sessions, and I mean sessions. Because what he did was, when the Indians were out in the field, he pitched in the bullpen like he was pitching in the game. And then when the Indians went in and hit, he sat down in the bullpen and then stood up when they came back out in the field. And he did that for the third inning, the fourth inning, the fifth inning, and the sixth inning. Now, I've seen guys go out in the bullpen and throw pitches and work on their craft and work on their mechanics but I've never seen a pitcher go out there and do what he did for the following five innings after he was pulled from the ball game. Have you ever seen anything like that, Mark?
1: Not quite like that. That sounds like a very regimented approach, to it, but I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I doubt he did that on his own. I would bet a pitching st- coach told him to do that. And what they wanted to do there, of course, is get him used getting back into the routine of sitting down and coming coming back up and going into the game. So I think he's pretty smart. I don't know whose idea it was, but I think it's a pretty good
0: one. Yeah, he did that. He is going to start tomorrow night. Carrasco's going tonight for the Indians against the A's. Then Salazar will pitch tomorrow night. I'm going to be anxious to see how he bounces back after that uh, outing against the White Sox. And then Trevor Bauer will go against the Oakland A's on Wednesday afternoon. You know, this is a big series for the Indians. They've got three games in Oakland. And then they go to Texas and they play four games. The Reds are playing at home against Texas tomorrow and Wednesday. So obviously, you know, when it has nothing to do with the Indians, I root for the Reds, of course. But right now it's got a lot to do with the Indians. I'd like to see the Reds take a couple of games from the Rangers. And right now the Indians have the best record in the American League. I'd like to see them stay that way.
1: Well, I think the the Reds have a chance against anybody right now. They're they're getting when they get the good starting pitching. The offense has not been a problem. They they were shut out yesterday, but that's been the exception to the rule. So I I think the Reds are going to be competitive the rest of the year. I really would like to see them uh, end up above 500 for the rest of the year. But uh, you know they have a, a pretty. They got the Rangers, of course, coming up the next two nights. But after that, they go to Arizona for three games and then California Angels for three. So they, they have a chance to win several of those games and, i uh, I like to see them put it back to back winning months together and then go into September and try and finish above 500 for the second half of the year.
0: Well, what would you consider? This is a seven game road trip for the Indians in, in Oakland and then Texas. I would think if they go four and three on this road trip, they'll do good.
1: They'll do good, uh, but doing good and, and going four and three is not how, teams win divisions and pennants. They they, they win five. And that sounds like a a minor difference, four to five, but it's a big difference. And you look back at teams that win 95 to 100 games, they they win their share of of sweeps. They'll they'll sweep a three-game series, or, or they'll win three out of four rather than two out of four. It's that extra game the great teams pick up in a series that makes all the difference. A lot of teams, I think, if they win the first two games of a, of a series, they say, "Ah, we won the series. That's great. Let's take a day off." That's not what the good teams do. They go out there and get that extra game. And over a course of a year, you pick up an extra game a month. Uh, that's six games, and that that can mean the, a huge difference in your uh, in the standings at the end of the year.
0: Well, a programming note here on UltimateSportsTalk.com, dot com: Our high school football broadcast schedule begins this Friday night as Waynedale will be at Tuskegee Valley. We'll be on the air this Friday night at 6 o'clock with Golden Bear Rewind, and then 6.30 with the pregame show. The kickoff will be at 7 o'clock. That's this coming Friday and for the next 10 consecutive weeks on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Mark, this is a story that just keeps giving and giving and giving out of Washington. Steven Strasburg is back on the disabled list with an elbow problem. Mark, I've I've talked about this. You and I have discussed it ever since they sat him down in 2012 when they had an opportunity to win the World Series and they sat him down in the playoffs and eventually did not go to the World Series. I've talked about him being a possible wimp. There's only two things right now that could be wrong with Steven Strasburg. Either he is not good at handling pain or you look at this guy, and he's injury-prone.
1: Well, he's obviously injury-prone, uh, and it's, it's, he reminds me of Mark Pryor of the Cubs. Uh, did you ever see Mark Pryor pitch? Yes. Okay, they're, they're built the same. They're tall, rangy guys, big legs. They put a huge amount of torque on their elbow. And Mark Pryor, I saw Mark Pryor pitch his first game in Chicago. I thought that guy was going to be in the Hall of Fame in four years. He, he was so overpowering. And But he, he, he couldn't handle the, the, the stress on his elbow. And I'd hate to see that happen to Strasburg. He, he has a Hall of Fame arm. But I saw him pitch against the Reds, I think it was three weeks ago. And he, everything was up. And his breaking ball wasn't snapping like it normally did when he, when he first came up. That thing was just devastating. And I was thinking to myself, you know, that looks like a guy who's kind of afraid to let go. Because when when you when your ball is up, your pitcher, it's because you're not you're not taking that last snap, you're not driving through the pitch, uh, holding back maybe subconsciously a little bit. But I and then what was it three or four starts in a row? He got beat, including that that start against the Reds, and I, I did not frankly hear he was on the DL today, but I knew that he was not he was not pitching well, and with that arm, if, if he's not pitching well. There's something wrong with the arm, because if he's healthy, you're, you know, there's no way that guy loses three games in a row.
0: Mark, the last three starts that he has made for the Nationals, the longest he has lasted is five and a third innings. Uh, he, his ERA is over five in those three starts. And my point is, and I, and I don't know whether to disagree with you or not. No, don't. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. I'll, I'll say this. You know, there are guys that just can't pitch in pain. There are guys that think if they have just a little hangnail, they can't pitch. They can only pitch when they're 100%. My question is, I don't know whether Steven Strasburg is one of those guys or if he really is an injury waiting to happen. That's the question I'm waiting to have answered.
1: Well, you can't read... a a person's pain level, and I'm always hesitant to say he can't play with pain because uh, (laughs) I used to pitch. I had a sore arm so many times I literally could not comb my hair. I could not lift my arm up. It hurt so bad. I can't remember anything that has hurt as much as that other than a kidney stone. (laughs) That's how bad. And for those of you out there who've had kidney stones, a, a very, very sore, inflamed right arm is very painful. So if that is what he has, he's got my sympathy, and you're not going to work your way through that or gut your way through it. You can't throw. So if it's a little tweak, pitching a baseball is an unnatural act on the human body, and you have to learn to deal with that if you're going to be a pitcher and, 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 I guess, deal with regular pain. But there is a pain level that isn't regular or isn't normal. And those pitchers have all my sympathy because I remember how much it hurt. And a friend of mine was here this weekend uh, visiting me. We went out and had some fun here in in the Cincinnati-Dayton area. And uh, he was a pitcher, and we were talking about that. And I said, do you miss playing ball? He said, I really miss playing ball. He said, but I don't miss the sore arm. And that that's the, the bane of the existence of a pitcher. So, uh, again, I'm always hesitant to pick on a pitcher because I've been there.
0: Well, speaking of a pitcher, the Toronto Blue Jays shocked the baseball world today. And this is a typical Mark Shapiro move. i got to say, this is exactly what Mark Shapiro will do, and this is the reason that I'm glad he's out of Cleveland. Aaron Sanchez, 12 wins, two losses this year, a 2.99 ERA on the season. They have gone to a six-man rotation, the Blue Jays had, in order to protect Aaron Sanchez. He has pitched 149 innings so far this year. The Blue Jays are in the middle of a pennant race, Mark, in the American League East. They are leading the division, but not by very much over Boston and Baltimore. What did they do with Aaron Sanchez over the weekend? They demoted him to single A. This is a typical Mark Shapiro move. Now, what difference does it make, Mark, if he throws throws the baseball in single A or at the major league level? This is a slap in the face to the guy.
1: Well, first of all, I, I doubt that he is going to be pitching down there. Um, very many innings. And when the September call-ups come up, which is in two weeks, they'll probably bring him back. But you, you just said two minutes ago, uh, Strasburg. Now, was was it too much for him to pitch? Has he pitched too much after coming back from arm surgery? Is, is Sanchez potentially damaged goods if he's over-pitched? There's a tightrope there that the GMs and then the teams have to, to, to walk. Do you overwork a guy and have him end up like Strasburg not going to the DL because he's had three bad starts? Is it because his arm's tired? Do you risk a, a million, a hundred million dollar arm by throwing him out there? I mean, I think that Shapiro going to a six man rotation isn't that a bad idea if you're trying to protect the arm of a young stud like that. I mean,
0: no problem with that. No problem with it. But Mark, here's my point. How do you tell the fans of Toronto that you are trying to win the American <laughs> League East and send your best pitcher to single A? Dave, there's only 40 games left in the year, okay? Going to that's a right. 6 That's man- right. That's that's my point right there.
1: Okay, but going to a six-man rotation Sanchez may miss two starts the rest of the year, but five to six, maybe. He'll miss one for sure. But if that saves the young man's arm, or if they think that's in his best uh, best interest physically, and you have to assume the medical department is is part of this decision-making, I see nothing wrong with that. And I don't think fans will, will get upset if they're thinking long-term and protecting this kid's arm And I wonder if the Nationals should have protected Strasburg's arm more. I wonder if the Cubs should have protected Mark Pryor's arms and Kerry Wood's his arm. Those guys were absolute all-star, Hall of Fame-type guys, and they were not protected, and they were out of baseball within five or six years. Mark Pryor did not last at all. Kerry Wood lasted longer, but his arm was never the same after surgery. So... I, I, you know, I know you don't like Shapiro, uh, Shapiro, but I, I think you have to give some credit to the fact that they are at least looking to protect the arms of these young men, and I don't, I don't have a problem with that.
0: Well, I have a major problem with it because right now looking at the standings, they're a half a game in front of Boston. They're two and a half games in front of Baltimore and six and a half games in front of the New York Yankees. And how do you sit there and look at your fans straight in the eye and say we are trying to win a division and won't pitch your best pitcher? Because That's the you, problem I've got you're, with
1: it. You send him down to to with single A. Obviously, if they send him down there, he, he's just going to be doing some basically – Two, three, four inning type stints to keep his arm strong, but they could bring him back in September when they need him and stick him back into the rotation, let him keep his pitch count down now, rest his arm, and he can come back and you know September 10th, get three more starts and take him to the playoffs. So I I don't have a problem with that, and uh, unless a pitcher has shown that he is not affected by that kind of workload. I – I think it's good. I I think it's a smart thing to do, especially if the guy's had surgery before. I don't know about Sanchez if he's had surgery before. Uh, But either you're going to – what they're trying to do is prohibit it from reoccurring or from that injury happening even the first time.
0: When does it become too much, Mark, when you've got an opportunity to win? And we've talked about this time and time again. This doesn't arrive, this opportunity – doesn't show up every year. When you've got an opportunity to win, you've got to take it. When it knocks at the door, you've got to answer it. When does this become too much?
1: Well, here, I, here I think you you can split the baby a little bit here. What I would have done differently than than Washington did what, four years ago with Strasburg, they had a chance to win the World Series. Why couldn't they have put Strasburg in the bullpen, kept his arm strong, cut down his innings, let him miss three or four starts, but throw an inning or two in a game that either didn't matter or maybe use him as a closer or whatever, keep his arms strong, and then keep him for those big games in September and October. Reduce his innings. And, yeah, do you sacrifice something during that stretch where he's not starting? Yeah, you do. But you don't then compromise the entire season, which they did. They shut him down, and he never pitched again. And if he had pitched that last game uh, in in the playoffs, they would have gone to the World Series because I think he, he I think it was the Cardinals. He, he he would have won that game. So I I think there's a way to manage it that doesn't throw the collective fan base under the bus, but it protects the pitcher, and I, I think that's what Shapiro is doing. So I I don't have a problem with that, but I think it could be managed better.
0: Well, I I definitely agree with that. That it could be managed a lot better. But I just think there's, there comes a time, Mark, where these players have to stop being babied and put the, the, the best efforts of the team ahead of their health at a certain part in the season. If this was early in the year, I probably wouldn't have a problem with it. But this late in the year with just, just under 40 games left, Toronto's got 39 games left, Mark. And yeah, you say that he may miss one or two starts. Let's say two. What if they lose the division by a game?
1: Yes, and what if he pitches an extra 18 innings and he gets hurt and he misses an entire year next year? That is the. And it's unlikely that would happen, Dave. I agree with that. But it could. And you have a kid like that with that kind of arm. He could win you 200 games over the next 10 years. And this is a kid with a with a great arm, and it's an asset. You, you take a calculated risk, I'll protect him now, as opposed to hurting him and losing him for a year. And by the way, I disagree with your premise that it doesn't matter whether he misses a few games at the beginning of the year. Those games are just as valuable as those games at the end of the year. So if, you, if you're if you trying to keep the pitch count down, then I would pitch those guys five or six innings, rather than pitching in eight or nine innings, and keep their pitch count down, or go to a six-man rotation, or have him skip a start during the year so he gets his rest. But so much of a wear and tear on a pitcher's arm is predicated on what they throw. Because, frankly, if they're throwing off fastballs, that doesn't hurt your arm. People think it's the fastball that hurts your arm. That doesn't hurt. You can throw fastballs all day. Uh, It doesn't hurt your arm. It's the breaking ball. It's the split finger. It's the change. Those things hurt your arm. They put a lot of stress on it. And so if a guy is like Tom Seaver, uh, he, threw, he threw 75 80% fastballs. And that's why he never had so sore arm. But you have other guys who threw a lot of breaking balls, and that is where the problem hinges. Look at Homer Bailey. Homer Bailey can throw a fastball all day, but he started throwing the slider, he started throwing the split, and he threw a great split. But that puts a hell, hell of a lot of torque on your arm, and that's when he started having arm problems. So it you know you look at the the Braves back in the the 90s, and with Glavin and Maddox, those guys never got sore arms, ever, because they were always throwing change-ups or, or fastballs, and they were
0: except for Smoltz.
1: Well, well yeah, I didn't I didn't say Smoltz, uh, I said Glavin and Maddox. Smoltz, what happened to Smoltz? <laughs> he got hurt. Oh, he. Yeah, he got (laughs) hurt twice. He he got hurt twice, and he had two surgeries because he was throwing a lot of breaking balls, a lot of splits. He he could throw hard, but when he went back to the bullpen and started throwing just his fastball, he never got hurt again.
0: So that's, you know, I mean, that's the thing about this is that I, I just think there comes a time where you have, forget about next year. I mean, that that's the point about this. Forget about next year. Next year's going to take care of itself. Next year they could go out and get somebody like a David Price to take Aaron Sanchez's spot. Right now, they're in a pennant race. They've got a chance to win the division and go into the playoffs and win the World Series. I think they've got to take that. But here's another case in point. The Dodgers sent Yasiel Puig down to the minors. He basically has given up on the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers have given up on him to the point where they're basically trying to just give him away to teams. You mentioned this last last week that you had heard they were still trying to trade Puig to the Reds basically for a song, and the Reds don't want him, and I think a lot of teams in Major League Baseball feel the same way. This guy may have just put himself out of Major League Baseball, Mark.
1: I, he may have this year. He's got too much talent. Somebody will sign him. And, and you know, I see Puig maybe going to the Yankees. Uh, maybe, maybe even the Red Sox. A big city where he's going to get a lot of attention and a lot of pop and all that stuff. Uh, I think that's where he could he could do well. I saw that guy play a couple of years ago in, in Dodger Stadium. As a matter of fact, against the Reds, he is a monster. I mean, he he is so. There may not be a more talented ball player in baseball than him, but man, what a head. I mean, this guy, is he's nutso, and you hope his agent or somebody gets into his ear, because uh, he when I saw him play, uh, he, I think he had 375, what, the, the last second, second half of the season a few years ago, and everybody was talking talking about all-star material, I and mean, he wasn't an all-star the next year, but uh somebody will pick him up and hopefully they can straighten him out because he sure has the talent
0: you know i could see him in new york because new york needs somebody like that they need outfielders boston i think has got enough outfielders i can't see him in boston but i i could literally see him there mark but the problem is is that you know like we've said before he's got a million dollar talent and a 10 cent head and i don't know if anybody can get through to this guy
1: well, I think that what the Dodgers did was exactly what he needed. They sent him out. And, uh, he, you know, he was having a bad year. It wasn't horrible. I, th- I think when they sent him out, he was sending, what, 245, 250, something like that. It wasn't terrible. But it, it was his attitude. It was the playing for himself and, uh, the, he was not well liked in the clubhouse. And that's usually the kiss of death. And I was watching the Dodgers play this, this week. And, you know, the Reds split with them, and that's not indicative of the relationship of talent between the two teams. But I'll tell you, the Reds' lineup is, in many cases, better than the Dodgers' lineup. And the Dodgers' pitching this week really was terrible. The Reds scored nine runs today. They, scored, they didn't score any yesterday, but they scored 11 on Friday and eight or nine on... I mean, they scored like 30 runs against the Dodgers, and... Now, the Dodgers, of course, don't have Kershaw. So when when they get Kershaw back, I think there's only a game separating the Giants and the, and the Dodgers right now. But uh, I was surprised with that payroll that Adrian Gonzalez had three home runs today. But can you think off the top of your head of three other stars they have on that team?
0: On the Dodgers? Yeah. Well, the only other one is Clayton Kershaw, but he's on the disabled list. He'll be back supposedly on Friday is when they're targeting Kershaw to be back. Well, I'm talking about uh, the starting
1: lineup. You got Seager, who's still, you know, a rookie. Uh, and, 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 but names don't pop out at you like Joey Votto or, no, know. I mean,
0: I, I've always liked Reddick, who's now in right field for them. Yeah. I, know, I, but I like he's him.
1: Not, he's not the household name. And you'd think with a $250 million a year payroll, you would have four Joey Vatos, or you'd have you know guys who who are recognized as perennial all stars in that team. They have made some blunders. Carl Crawford, uh, you know, he's he's still being paid like twenty million dollars a year, and they yeah. they had to release him because he was
0: And $2. nobody 20. wants him.
1: Nobody wants him. Nobody wants Puig. Uh, it goes on and on with that team. They're paying. Oh, who's. Um, guy was Morse, Morse from Washington a few years ago. They're still paying him $8 million this year and $12 million next year. The guy hasn't played in two years. So I don't know who's judging their talent, but when you have that kind of money and you're, you're not running away with the division, something, something's wrong, and, and your payroll keeps going up and up and up, I guess they can just print money now.
0: And the funny thing is, Mark, the guy who had who was making the most money with the Dodgers three years ago is Matt Kemp, and he's no longer with the team.
1: And they're still paying him. That's they the other are. thing; they're still paying Matt Kemp. So he's getting he's getting paid by the Dodgers to play against the Dodgers, uh, and now he's not even with San Diego. Where, where'd they trade him? Uh, Atlanta. No, he's
0: with Atlanta. Yeah,
1: trade him with Atlanta. So that, that's that's an amazing thing that Braves picked up a a deal there. They got a pretty good player for probably very little money.
0: <laughs> Mark, our final story tonight around Major League Baseball on Saturday, Philly shortstop Freddie Galvis ripped a foul ball into the crowd during the team's 4-2 win over the Cardinals at Citizens Bank Park. The ball ultimately hit a little girl in the face, and she was taken to a local hospital for further evaluation. Galvis was really distraught over the situation, and after the game, he absolutely went off on the current safety regulations at Major League Baseball Parks. Here's what he said to the Philadelphia Inquirers' Matt Breen. What year is this? 2016? It's 2016, and fans keep getting hit by foul balls when you're supposed to have a net to protect them. The fans give you the money, so you should protect them, right? We're worried about speeding up the game. Why don't you put up a net? and protect all the fans. He goes, Then he comes back with and he said, what if I broke all of that girl's teeth? What if I broke her nose? If I hit her in one eye and she loses that, what are they going to do? They're going to forget it in three days? It's going to be a big deal for two or three days. Everybody in TV, media, whatever, but after three days, it's what's going to happen? They're going to forget it, but that family won't forget it. Do you think the little baby will forget it? It's true life. It's something that you have to put before everything. Safety first, safety. I well, know you agree with this.
1: absolutely agree with that. Good for him. I'd seen the ball go into the – I saw it on ESPN. I didn't hear that comment, and I'm very happy he did that. That is what needs to be done. And the only way, the only way it's going to happen is that that parent, Sues the living hell out of the Phillies or whoever the home team is, uh, because lawsuits are the only thing that's going to make them put up that screen. And it's, it's so overdue. And they even talked about there's a, there's a, a netting now that it's made of, I guess, plastic or something. And it, you hardly see it. The, you and I can hardly pick it up. But it's, uh, it's protect, protection from a ball coming off a bat at about a, 110 miles an hour, and I was down at the Dayton Dragons game about three years ago, and I was sitting down the third base line, and there was a line drive down the third base line. I saw it coming. I was with my wife, so I reached over to protect her, put my hand up, and I knew it was really going to hurt, but I was afraid it was going <laughs> to hit her in the face. And before I could reach the ball, a guy put his hand up in front of mine. He was sitting to her right, and it broke his hand and it, 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 he deflected it, thank God, because it would have broken my hand. <laughs> but I, he immediately looked at his hand, and you could see the imprint of the stitches on it, and they, they took him to the hospital. He broke his hand. So it, it it's going to happen, and I, I really applaud Ferdinand Galvez for standing up and saying that.
0: I, I agree with this, that there should be netting that goes probably to the end of, of the first and third base dugouts, I get that the stupid part of it is Mark is that they have a net that covers up the fans behind home plate not the not the netting that goes up in front of them, but over the top of them. Mm-hmm. that part of it i i just don 't <laughs> that I have to laugh at that one that they spend the money to put a net there, but they won 't extend it past the dugouts
1: yeah it, it, it makes no sense I mean it really doesn 't make any sense. And uh, I've been hit by baseballs, and it hurts. And a little kid like that, I hope she's okay. That, that, that's heartbreaking. If you could lose an eye, you could have your face disfigured. And uh, uh, baseball is really, really remiss. And Manafort was, or what's his name? Manafort. Um, Manafort. Manfred. Manfred, thinking of Manafort from Trump. Um, he if all the things he's going to do to speed the game up. You're right. Put up a damn screen and be done with it.
0: Is Putin influencing manhood? Maybe. (laughs) No, let's not get into that. Yeah, let's not. Mark, okay, did you watch any of the Olympics? Yes, I did. Okay. Yesterday morning, I get up and I flip on NBC, and they have the marathon on. Two hours and ten minutes of watching guys run. Mark. I have come to the conclusion that if we have to speed up the game of baseball, we need to speed up the marathon. I don't know how to do it, but if we are going to speed up the game of baseball, the marathon in the Olympics has to be sped up. What can we do to speed up the marathon?
1: Nothing. You can shorten it, but it's not the marathon. But I, here's, here's before we go, I, I, do, I do want to pose something to you that I heard the other night on about the, about the Olympics. They are talking about Billy Hamilton. Racing Usain Bolt, and of course Bolt is the greatest runner of all time.
0: Yes, but
1: they said they had a stopwatch on him on the first, and and Billy Hamilton admits he would not beat Bolt, so he's he's not the one proposing this. But Bolt's big burst of speed comes in the second half of the fifty, of the hundred yard dash, the, the final fifty yards or hundred meters. And they had a stopwatch on Billy Hamilton running after a, a, a fly ball. And he was within, I, I think, a half a second of Bolt on the first 50 yards. That's how fast this guy is.
0: So we talked yeah, about Yeah, Bolt Billy is Hamilton. not good out of the blocks.
1: Yeah, he's 6'5, which is the reason. But once he stretches out, man, it's like he's got a turbocharger <laughs> in his butt and he takes off. But uh, <laughs> Amazing athletes. Boy, those
0: guys are good. Boy, they they are. So the Reds have the Rangers tomorrow night and Wednesday. They're off Thursday. Then they go to Arizona, like you said, the Indians. Tonight they're in Oakland after the show. They'll be taking on the A's, Carlos Carrasco going for the Indians. Then they play the A's tomorrow night and Wednesday afternoon. And then they've got a four-game set with the Texas Rangers and Jonathan Lucroy in Texas Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon. We'll talk again next Monday night, Mark.
1: Okay, David. When we do, I'll tell you about my, my experience this past weekend uh, in another sport. I think you'll enjoy it.
0: All right, we'll do that. All right, buddy. Don't forget high school football. We'll see you again next Monday night, Mark. Good night. Don't forget high school football coming up this Friday night at 7 o'clock to kickoff, 630, with the PNC Bank pregame show. Wayndale will be at Tusky Valley. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show, but most of all, our thanks go out to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, Have a good week, everyone. The Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson
2: had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while.
0: Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski Campanella.